I'm Andrew O'Hagan, host of a new podcast from the London Review of Books. It's about the bloodiest and most controversial event of the Falklands War, the sinking of the General Belgrano. Margaret Thatcher was accused of a war crime. The truth would only emerge in the pages of a private diary. This is the Belgrano Diary. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the London Review Bookshop podcast. To find out about our upcoming events, visit londonreviewbookshop.co.uk forward slash events. Okay, thanks guys so much for coming. Um, and obviously, thank you so much for having me and for doing this with for, for all of us. So I'm going to let you guys introduce the book. I just want to give the big headline. I think the, the, the fact that bowled everybody over is the fact that it's not just genre fiction, but, but it is like a combination of several genres. It works across traditional genre distinctions in a, what I would argue is a really innovative and exciting way. It's exactly the kind of book that I want to see written these days where, where nobody really, where not very many people take risks in terms of like branching out of their literary fiction category or out of their very strict sci-fi category if it's a genre writer. So what I love about it is that this sort of like, um, works across all sorts of different genres, and that's why I think this is a super courageous and actually important book. Um, do you want to say, we can get back to the genre stuff a bit later to begin with. Do you just want to kind of roughly describe what the original intention for the book was? <laughs> and how it turned out differently, as is yeah. the way? Well, I mean, talk about the genesis of this book, yeah. Uh, yeah. which, you know, we kind of have a lockdown to thank for that. Absolutely. Uh, both of us were stuck at home in our respective countries. And I'd known Sin for about 13 years as a Twitter friend. Mm. Twitter. Um, <laughs> That's not what it's let's called. Let's not talk about you. It's, it's <laughs> called Twitter. <laughs> and uh, we met really through friends uh, who were talking about Doctor Who a lot in 2010. That basically happened a lot then. Everyone was talking yeah, about Doctor Who. Yeah, everybody had, we had opinions. opinions. Yeah. Um, and then we didn't really talk much for a long time. For know. about 10 years. I think once I aggressively sent you a Star Wars T-shirt. Yeah, you very much aggressively sent me a Star Wars T-shirt. <laughs> I was just uh, looking at Star Wars T-shirts on Twitter, and Helen turns up and says, I can get that for you. <laughs> Barely Sorry. talked to Helen beforehand, and um, so that happened. And then we were friends properly yeah, yeah. from then. Um, so we just started they talking a lot, a lot during <laughs> a lockdown. And, we, and, you know, that kind of weird sense that we were all isolated and you know, I was a nature writer. Mm. I couldn't go to Midway at all to research my next book. It was impossible for me to go to a remote island of the Pacific. Um, and so, you know, everyone else was like discovering nature and I was basically refusing nature. I basically sat on my couch and I watched television and cried and ate ice cream. Mm. Perfect. I was a hermit and did fuck all basically, mm. um, except talk to Sin about yeah. all the things that we both loved in terms of genre fiction. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we were uh, we were watching a lot of TV, a lot of Netflix. Uh, we were I was playing a lot of video games. Yeah, we were going through all the different books that we uh, we wished had more to like. We wanted everything that we loved felt like it was missing something a little bit extra. And we were in the middle of lockdown. We could do whatever we wanted, and yeah. we could create whatever we wanted. And so we did yeah, that. Yeah, one so, day I yeah. was like, Sam. You know, I can't really write this nature book. Do you want to write a novella with me? That wasn't what happened. It was. Well, what happened? <laughs> like novella, the oh. book is like five hundred pages. Words, yeah. yeah. Um, what happened was, is like I want to, I want to write this. Uh, can you 
help me get to the place with dialogue and yeah, characters. Yeah, because you're yeah. genius with dialogue, this person, genuinely. So I, I, that sounded like fun. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a novella. It won't be a novella. Um, <laughs> it will. It, it will, will be 40,000 words. <laughs> yeah. Bastard was right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hate it. Um, but we were talking a lot about nostalgia at the time, we I were. think. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, we, we, we really quickly realized that we wanted to kind of, we wanted it to be a big love story. Yeah. We wanted it to be uh, socially sort of, you know, a real kind of social critique mm-hmm. and quite political, yeah. but fun. Yeah. And nostalgia seems such an extraordinary thing to, to sort of talk about at this time. You know, we had the whole kind of, you know, the, the, the way that kind of everything was going to be tipping towards fascism and the way that the past is recruited to as a kind of safe space yeah. at that point. Um, so that was like right the way through politics of the time. And one of the things I think I feel really strongly about is that one of the problems with today is that we don't really, it's very hard to have a believable future. It's very hard to imagine a believable, livable future. Everything's so hopeless. Everything's so hopeless. So and regurgitated. Like, you know, everything mm-hmm. has to look back on some mm-hmm. golden age, mm-hmm. which can be inflected by corporate interests, by consumerism, by Hollywood, mm-hmm. by yeah. politics. You know, it's a very mm-hmm. unstable and frightening situation. So we're like, right, let's do it. Let's yeah, do weaponized nostalgia. Absolutely. It was the only thing that we could think about at the time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a really hugely complicated conceptual apparatus, though, in the book about nostalgia. That's like an entire little philosophy of a, a nostalgia philosophy like yeah. in, in the book, isn't it? It started off so, as a military disease. That's what we were laughing yeah. about. You know, it started off, it was... Yeah, a, I mean, and that's it, in there. Is that, like, is that actual history? Yeah, we, it's, it's a yes. sort of genealogy, There's a I little guess. bit of confusion as to whether or not this chap, Johannes Hofer, in this uh, 18th century really did coin this term. But he coined this term nostalgia to relate to Swiss mercenaries who were far from home in the battlefield and began to get really sick. And they saw ghosts and heard voices and they got very listless. And, uh, you know, the cures that the military advised then were um, pain and opium. So we made Rao, one of our characters, a masochistic addict. Yes. We thought that would fit. Yeah. And, um, and then it kind of, you know, became like really kind of buoyed up in romanticism. It became much more acceptable. Uh, nostalgia. Yeah. And it became, became a became, nationalistic yeah, tool. Yeah, nationalistic tool. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, we, we thought, you know, this is the kind of moment on Facebook when you see when you're presented with a picture of a chocolate bar yeah. from, your, from your youth and yeah. you feel that little pang. You're like, oh, I remember those spangles. Yeah. It's showing my age. Yeah. And you want to engage. You want to press the like button. And we just turned that moment of engagement into a situation where if you are touched by this peculiar element in the book, I'm giving a bit of a spoiler here, you spontaneously suffer kind of psychic trauma that makes you create the object yeah. that, you, that you yearn to Really and then you possess. cannot... And then you get stuck to it. Yeah. You, can't, you can't let go. That's like one of the main tropes, isn't yeah. it? I don't think that's a spoiler. That's like the, the, yeah. the key, key conceit yeah. in a way, isn't it? Yeah. So you get, you get but, sort of, you know, you hug your teddy bear from you when you were a child. Yeah, and yeah. if, you, and if, you, if it gets taken away, then you die of a, literally yeah. of a broken yeah. heart. So and people produce, they sort of spontaneously produce yeah. um, elements that are connected to their most n- nostalgic sensitivity in a way or however you want to call it. Whatever uh, produces a, a sense of safety. Yeah, because yeah. that's really what you're looking for whenever, um, you know, a politician or a commercial or a movie pangs this uh, nostalgic feeling. You're looking for safety. This is what you know. This is the past. And wasn't it pleasant? Wasn't it safe? Wasn't yeah. it easy? And it's and, a trap. Yeah, and it's, it's a, a trap. trap. Yeah, so, so that's, that's what that, we did. That was our political... So this sort of key, key idea of the, the idea of weaponizing nostalgia, that was there pretty early on. Oh, yeah. In the process, oh, that was one, like the, yeah. the starting that point. Was day one, that was also, day one, but also we knew it wanted to, we wanted it to be a giant love story. Yeah, because 
If you ask me, I mean, that is what it is. It's deep, yeah, it's absolutely. Yeah. It's a big romance. It's a big yeah, new yeah. romance. Yeah. A sci-fi, whatever. It's like a little... No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm totally joking. No, no, it is it a big sci-fi. But it's just the, co- the, like, the emotional mm-hmm. center of it is a massive... Like, the, one of the best love stories, I mean, I've read it, it recently. I mean, it's really incredible... Because, um, okay, let's go to the love story. Have you guys read it already or are you yet to read it? So okay. the love story is, read it, it's just for the love story. It's doing that classic thing. I mean, it's a classic, classic setup whereby the two people are obviously to begin with seemingly incompatible mm-hmm. oh, God, entirely. Yes. Yeah, totally. So they're total counterparts. Yeah. And, um, it's the odd couple. It's yeah. the odd couple. Right, but, yeah. but the opposite, like the, the oddest couple. Like, <laughs> okay, let me describe the characters. Yeah, so describe have, the characters. We have that's two it. characters, and I'm going to describe Rao because, yes. you know, I did end up, in, well, I don't know, I kind of, I felt, I felt more comfortable writing. Rao. Okay, yeah, that's Mainly right. because I can't do American dialogue. You're, it's not one of your strengths. No. <laughs> I kept writing these, like, sharp military lines, and Cine be like, that sounds like Jane Austen. <laughs> did. Um, no subjunctives. Like, okay. So, Too many um, hads. So Sunil Rao, he's great. He's a, he's a, uh, a British-Asian guy who grew up in a really sort of wealthy family based in, in, in Jaipur, grew up in London, went to uh, Oxford, which he thought was awful. Um, went to Cambridge. <laughs> Same thing. And he went to Oxford. Did he go to Oxford? Yeah. Oh, so, <laughs> we, we better check because I can't remember now. They're both awful, though, so that's fine. He's a Cambridge graduate. So, yeah, he did the Oxbridge thing, ended up going off the rails, you know, spending a lot of time in Berlin, drugs, sex, everything, just losing it. And the reason he really went off the rails is that um, Ralph has this incredible talent. We went a bit supernatural for this. He has the ability to know whether any statement about the world is true or false, any prepositional statement. So it's not like a lie detector. It's no. like genuinely knowing what's true is what's false. And that really messed him up. Um, he ends up working for MI6. They send him over to um, Afghanistan to ground truth interrogations in a CIA black prison. That ends up very badly for Rao. Uh, it really breaks him. And then we, when we first meet him, he's being sprung from prison to help with this mysterious um, situation here. So Rao is a mess. I adore him. Um, he's sarcastic. Foul-mouthed. Foul-mouthed. Flamboyant. Flamboyant, brilliant, nightmarish person. Yeah. And I would, I'd, I'd die for him. Like yeah, that. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, this is, uh, the truth-telling that we, uh, we put into the book for Rao is also something that we wanted to look into. We, we wrote this, we started writing this in 2020. Yeah. And there was a lot of, you know, the whole misinformation and yeah. fake news and alternative facts and stuff like that. And everybody was either looking for a truth or looking for a lie or looking for something that sat- settled with them as a truth. Yeah. And we wanted to talk about what pure truth would do to a person yeah. and how that would look. Like, yes, we all want that, but like never being able to be lied to. Yeah. Imagine growing up and, and not understanding initially that people... Lie. Don't know they're being lied to. They yeah. know they're lying. I mean, it's, it's yeah. A lot of people wouldn't know yeah. that they're lying. Imagine a romantic history. You know, yeah. <laughs> not good. Yeah. So, anyway, so uh, that's Rao. Um, yeah, exactly. And then yeah. the, the, the big thing is how that ability hangs together mm-hmm. with with uh, Adam Rubenstein, exactly. yeah. the other guy uh, who is a military man through and through. Uh, he uh, 
he's difficult to read, not only by Rao, who can't read truth uh, from Adam. But he's about the wall. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's really so he's the one person. Like a bit like Twilight, and yeah. Rao yeah. can't read Adam. Yeah. But he's the yeah. one person yeah. who can't yeah. read. So that's the one person in the whole world. But he's yeah. also yeah. famous within his uh, his milieu that he yeah. is difficult he is to read. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, we we adore Adam as well. He's, yeah, we do. Uh, He's basically the Dorothy of the of the you know, Rouse Toto. Rouse Toto. <laughs> <laughs> so we love him. You know, really sensitive kid. Grew up in a military family. Got completely messed up by a very author- authoritarian father, and mm-hmm. is now this terrifying military figure. He's great. Um, he's very. Cool. He's doing well. Yeah. So he's babysitting Rao. He's taking Rao around doing missions. And and um, so I thought well, maybe we could, we could we could maybe read that's the, a the perfect bit. moment exactly. Yeah. Should we read a bit? We read him a bit. So this is um, Adam's point of view when he first meets Rao in a meeting. <laughs> I think this is so fun. I can't believe we wrote this book. <laughs> <laughs> be cool. Be cool. I'm cool. You can get a lot out of a person from how they present themselves. Sunil Rao was the type of mess he'd seen a bunch of times before in crypto analysts. Guys like that get it. <laughs> Guys like that get cut a lot of slack because of what they can do. They push back, make a point of it. The file he'd been giving suggested Sunil Rao wouldn't be easy to handle. The meeting confirmed it. Rao talked incessantly, told unrelated anecdotes and jokes. The jokes were pretty funny, considering, but wildly inappropriate in context. Adam quickly put most of this down to him having taken some kind of stimulant. His pupils were dilated and he found it hard to sit still. Kept brushing the arm of his chair with his palms, drumming the desk with his fingers. Half an hour in, he took some gum and chewed it for so long and so energetically that Adam's own jaw started to feel uncomfortable. After the meeting, Rao came up to him and told him, conspiratorially, that he didn't have to believe all of the stuff in his file. I have to take it on trust, Adam replied. Rao laughed. Trust, yeah. Very, very important concept, Adam. It is, Mr. Rao. So it's very important, you know, you don't lie to me. Adam blinked. I don't intend to. Good, good. How old are you? 35. Rao shook his head in wonderment. Fucking hell. Have you been to London before? Yes. Are you in London now? Adam frowned. I am. Am I? He hadn't answered that, just stared at Rao, and Rao had laughed, high and hysterical which was when Adam reassessed his previous assessment, slotted this operation into the category potentially very difficult. It was, and it wasn't. Several weeks in the field proved Rao was as chaotic and uncontrolled as Adam had predicted. He waved his arms a lot, scratched his head compulsively, always laughed at his own jokes. It always looked like he was wearing someone else's clothes. He was uncomfortable with silence, had to fill it with words, hum tunes, snapping fingers. And there was a degree of oppositional behaviour. It wasn't directed at Adam, but sometimes that made it worse. Operationally, however, he was superb. First, he was a natural at soft interrogation. It was fun to watch how quickly people trusted him who shouldn't. Adam knew the mechanics, but there was more to it than tone, word choice and body language. There was something intangible involved, a form of finger spitzengefühl that couldn't be learned if you didn't already have, have it, and Adam never had. Second, Rao's Russian was flawless, and from the pace of the conversations he heard, his Uzbek nowhere near as bad as Rao insisted. Third, no matter how much vodka he drank, Rao's reports were admirably clear and concise. One evening, Rao had told him the trick, smugly tapping one temple. I'm cursed, he said, with perfect recall and a photographic memory. It's awful. 
Most of all, Adam had been impressed by Rao's specialism. They'd informed him Rao worked like a polygraph, but his numbers were better, said he was near infallible, which sounded bullshit. Predictable bullshit. Adam had long been entertained by how much of a hard-on certain sectors have for supernatural intel. It would be so much cheaper if they could only ever get it to work. They never could. Like those phonies holding their temples in Fort Meade back in the 60s, trying to put Soviet missile silos on bits of unexposed film. <laughs> Should we stop? I like the next page. Should we keep going? <laughs> going. All right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to go out. I'll stay welcome. I'm reading. But the evidence stacked up day by day, and eventually Adam couldn't deny it. Rao could tell when assets were lying, when Department of Defense personnel and embassy staff were lying. Waiters, taxi drivers, receptionists, anyone. But maybe he needed to concentrate to do it because he wasn't infallible, and it wasn't all the time. Adam had lied to Rao a bunch of times, and he hadn't seemed to notice. On a Bacara back street, listening to Rao complaining bitterly, about how some cruel fluke of fate had deprived him of the excellent driving skills that everyone else in his family possessed. Adam tested him again, informed him deadpan that their vehicle had gone. Gone? <laughs> As in stolen? Shit. Shit, this isn't good. What are we going to do? We have to be on the road. It- Rao stopped, then glared. You're fucking with me. I am. Adam was very familiar with the kind of person who could dish it out and not take it. He hadn't thought Rao was among their number, but he must have been wrong because Rao was suddenly furious. You're just another tool in the kit, is it? He spat out. What? I just can't tell how you're doing it, that's all. I need to know. Years of training in marksmanship, close quarters and hand-to-hand. No, not the creepy stalker hitman stuff. I'm not. How are you doing it? Rao? I'm afraid I'm going to have to ask you to talk in full, complete sentences. Please attach as much information to these sentences as you can. Get fucked, Rao said. Seriously. (laughs) As you can tell, writing this book was so much fun, it felt illegal. I mean, quite often it'd be like... (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this is a really, really, really cool um, bit to read, actually, because the the point you gave me, we said said sci-fi earlier, we said romance earlier, whatever. But actually, I mean, the thing is... uh, the is a character-driven novel, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It is primarily about these two characters. That is sort of what it is, and we yeah. get like really, we get deep, we get um, uh, backstories yeah. for especially one of the characters, like really um, detailed flashbacks in a way. Yeah, and that sort of allows us to to sort of um, connect to these characters in the way we do. So the flashbacks are one thing, their histories, and then the other thing is their their banter, the kind of the way they interact with each other. <laughs> they won't shut up, will they? <laughs> that's it. That's like it's so much like dialogue and so much like interaction between the two of them, and it's kind of hilarious. So it also has a ton of humor. So how, how did how did that come about? Well, I mean, we enjoy stories that are character driven. Yeah, and uh, and it's really difficult to really nail it down because we were looking at archetypes a lot of the time when we were writing we were looking at archetypes and uh we always came down to the fact that there was always these two types of guys there is uh the the straight talking um cold but you know warm on the inside uh difficult dangerous one and then there was the chaotic whirlwind yeah and in everything it's everywhere like you know we've yeah, like, from sure. peep show to with and i yeah hamlet disco elysium yeah, yeah hamlet, absolutely yeah. <laughs> and yeah. um and we wanted to do that and um 
and also we found that like we only really cared about a story if we cared about the people. Yeah. Sure. Exactly. And yeah. so we needed to make people that we cared about. Yeah. And I think that the, the one of the reasons I love the fact that these characters seem so real, I think part of that is the fact that both of us wrote them. Yeah. So, you know, like the, and this is going to sound like a, maybe like we're trying to blow our own trumpets, but I don't think that's what it's I'm doing. It's a launch day. Oh, it's a launch day. Yeah. I can do that. <laughs> yeah, I think so I think, chore. you know, we, we both have a very clear row in our head and both have a very clear Adam in our head. Mm. Um, but when we write together, there's always a little bit of a gap between those two yeah. visions. And I think that gap is make, what makes, for us, makes them feel so alive on we the We get page. a different layer yeah. to the, yeah. um, the characters. And because, the, the book yeah. is, it's built out of tropes. I mean, we, we basically took all the tropes from all of the things we love. Like, yeah. there's a lovely quote, I think, from the novelist Sarah Perry about the beauty, the veracity, and the power of tropes. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, we put von Villain stuff in there. We put kind of, you know, weirdly flat villains and... Mm-hmm. You put swelling music, swelling music, yeah, and, sure. yeah, helicopter yeah. rides yeah. and stuff. It's all yeah. in there. But, and, no. but we needed, in order to make that work and to have fun with those tropes, we needed to have real people yeah. inside yeah. it, and that's because otherwise it would seem cartoonish. Yeah. And it also animates them exactly. Yeah. It animates them. It gives the tropes depth, and it actually brings them to life. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally that's get funny. it. I do time travel. <laughs> so so, <laughs> so yeah. these things, we like these tropes because they're highly effective yes. as narrative devices. But then they come; they become something original mm-hmm. by creating the characters. Even by, even though you might use stereotypes, but they're still they, they're, 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 the, the dynamic between them is still reads completely fresh on the page. Yeah, and, and they're really very self-aware. You know, yeah. every so often, Rao is like, "God, this is just like James Bond." You know, why, why even? You know, they're very self-aware and, and sort of genre yeah. savvy too. So, so yeah. it's really fun to play with that. Yeah. Can you say a bit more about how exactly the writing process worked? Because that's like really hard to imagine. Like, what somebody sits down one evening and sends it over to the other person. Well, we we didn't meet in person in real life until the book was nearly done. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is it's kind of because isn't it? It's not well, it worked out. We we did it mostly over uh, direct messages and email. Uh, we would uh, we would kind of decide which way we wanted to go with it, um, and then we would disappear for a couple of hours, and then we'd reappear with stuff, and the other person would take it and edit it or uh, rewrite it or oh god yeah or do little things with dialogue. And um, I just laugh at my because I, I, you know, I had no idea how vain I was. So like initially, like, you know, I'd write stuff and then like Sin would send it back and go, if that works. And literally there was this voice going, my books have won prizes. I should really shocking. Yeah. And then I've got over that. Yeah. Well, that really it's a really, yeah. it's a, we have to be really vulnerable. To yeah, yeah, this, for right? sure. Like, it was necessary. Really trust each yeah. other. Um, uh, it worked out. It, and the way that it happened is that because we were live editing almost every single word yeah. along the way, there are parts that we know the other person at least, you know, was the the catalyst yeah. of the part. Or the original draft Yeah, or whatever. Yeah. But um, we get confused. We have no idea who wrote what in some places. We think the best lines were written by the other person. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite yeah. Our favorite parts are yeah. these and we'll say you, that was you. Yeah. But um, I think one of the things that was most joyful about that, too, was the unexpectedness of material appearing from the other person. Yeah, so like, yeah. quite often, you know, that, but the end of the book, the very end of the book, there's this you know, really lovely end bit, which, you know, I really adore. I'm not saying anything about it. Um, <laughs> we had this big argument about happy endings and sad endings. Sin really wanted an hap- unhappy ending. And yeah. I'm like, no. Can't stand happy endings. So we endings. kind of had both. It's like but, sort of several yeah. endings. Yeah, several isn't endings. It's like sort yeah. of a... Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, we exactly. That's really it. Nice. Really <laughs> <laughs> we managed um, to do. But like, stuff. you know, so like one, one, one afternoon, just this, this whole ending just appeared. 
yeah. in DMs. And I'm like, oh, there it is. You know, it's yeah. great if you're a writer and that happens. You're like, oh, that's nice. But I think that's a good point to make. We were writing for each other yeah. in the middle of lockdown. We were going yeah. backwards and forwards and writing this book so that the other person could read it mm-hmm. while we were writing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really nice. Yeah, so yeah. It, it, we wrote the book that we wanted to read. Mm-hmm. We really like it. We hope that everybody else does. <laughs> So did you write, it was like basically on a Google Doc or something like that. Did you work in one eventually, document? Eventually, eventually it became that. So that, Before yeah. that, it was a mess, you know, terrifying. Like there were like virus files everywhere. Yeah. Like, <laughs> exactly. But yeah, it, it ended up being a Google Doc. And then Doc. you plotted out sort of when you, you sort of agreed where it roughly goes. And we were... knew the direction that we needed to go in. Uh, but we actually had a lot of fun finding out what worked and what didn't in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. because the, there's another person working out the weird threads of narrative, then uh, the other person would have different ideas mm-hmm. than you. And we would go down certain paths and find out that that didn't really work. And we would, then we would go down another path and find out that didn't work and kind of merge them together. Mm-hmm. And that would end yeah. up be where we and were. And other people mm-hmm. also were involved. So like my, my friend Christina, who's yeah. a philosopher of language, you know, we always like, Christina, you know, I've got a character who knows what things are propositional truths about the world. And she was like, oh, that's interesting. Uh, yeah. So, you know, she worked out a whole bunch of ways in which he, you know, the fact that he can, he knows what's true about the world would also mean that he would know mm-hmm. when objects were fake because of various causal mm-hmm. sort of theories of reference. And so that was really fun. Yeah, we got to actually sit down and really like pick at the philosophy yeah. of it yeah. and uh, the history, like application of like Rao and his family yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and everything like that. And, yeah. then, and then there was a lot of fun thing about, we were laughing about this before, you know, I was a historian of science, so... <laughs> You know, when I thought, oh, I've got to write about special forces, shit, you know, so I'd spend like, you know, six weeks doing a deep dive on special forces, you know, in America. And Sydney would be like, it's fiction. It's fiction. <laughs> like, it doesn't no! have to be exact. Yeah. <laughs> we can have a little wiggle room. So that was yeah, really fun. Yeah. But there's always like this sort of, they, they, okay, in fiction, you can basically do what you want. Nobody tells you that, but as a, as a novelist, I would say that's the, that's the sort of the big unspoken secret. In and the fiction, big draw you can do whatever fiction, you yeah. want. Yeah. However, there is always a balance, isn't it? Yeah. Because you make it decision, you make a choice, isn't it? That you make a choice to include certain real factual mm-hmm. references yeah. that are accurate mm-hmm. and refer- reference um, the real world. And this is also what's happening in the book, isn't it? Mm-hmm. There's sort of, I mentioned before, there's a whole conceptual apparatus around nostalgia. There's certain historical um, fiction, uh-huh. every historical uh-huh. facts uh-huh. being used uh-huh. in there. Yep. Like, yeah, now we learn the, the entire military language is accurate uh-huh. and it reads accurate as well. So yeah. it's about making a choice, isn't it? How well, yeah, we wanted it grounded. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah we grounded, did. Yeah. We could have made something like this is pretty fantastical, but we yeah. wanted it to be something that felt real. The threats could be real because they are, and that's what we wanted to touch upon. Yeah. We wanted it to be fiction and fun and a romp and everything and else. It starts but off basically in a field in Suffolk. I mean, you can't get much more creative yeah. than that. No. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we did. We wanted it to be to feel yeah, real, really real. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it does. Did you ever disagree on anything in the writing process? You must have at some point. Have we put that out of our minds or do we remember anything? Are you holding on to anything? (laughs) (laughs) I think the happy ending, non-happy ending. That's a big one. We had a big big fight about, about you know, uh, yeah, I I I wanted it to be devastating. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I'm not having these boys being unhappy. That that is so... Okay, I'm going to let you talk. (laughs) That's very highly interesting. For those of you who who read the book will know what I mean. Because you can actually... uh, You can see where it would be the end. 
in yeah, and, and the ending. Funny thing is, <laughs> I, I wrote. Um, you wrote the happy ending. I, I wrote. I wrote. The, I wrote both. This is correct. <laughs> you did. Well, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and the thing about the characters is like also like, you know, that there, there are sort of this notion of, of explanation. So I'd love to say something about this in terms of like science fiction. So we have a very clear schema of what this weird substance is in the book and what it does, why mm-hmm. it does what it does. And we made this decision to put the book in the close third person. So everything in the book mm-hmm apart from some phone calls that are in italics, like, you know, proper Michael Crichton stuff, is in the heads of our characters. So we never get an explanation, like at the end of most sci-fi, not more many sci-fi books, there's like, okay, what is this stuff and what does it do? What's it trying to do? What's its agency? What's its purpose? We never learn that. Mm -hmm. And that was like a really interesting thing to kind of play with. Particularly with like, you know, we we messed with Rao because, you know, it's really fun for a the conceit of a mystery to have a character who knows what's true and what isn't, it kind of breaks that. Mm-hmm. And also we were really interested in like having a situation where a reader would be given lots of clues to this substance, but never get a clear answer, even though the clues are all there. And I always feel like a bit like the generosity in that, like a, like a cryptic crossword puzzle. It's not, it's not meant to be forbidding. It's like all the bits are there and you can mm-hmm. read them. Yeah, but, we trusted. Yeah, we trusted. We, we, we trusted didn't want everybody. To yeah, exactly. Yeah. We hate it when people do that to us. You know, and try to um, explain things over and over again. And we didn't want to do that. And I always think there's a kind of a bit of a sort of theological kind of reading of this too. If you, if you look, you will laugh at me for this one. Yes, I do. I'm yeah. doing it right now. I think there's a kind of a theological. So, uh, and then, you know, questions of truth and, and memory and stuff and, and, and all that is also kind of, you know, yeah, it's complicated. I think that is a kind of a contemporary way, weirdly, of doing science fiction, actually, is to withhold mm. the explanation mm. whereby traditionally... Like, actually, Jeff, like Jeff Vandermeer, for example. Yeah, right? exactly. One, he's like, yeah. What but, is Area X? Even have you have you read the um, M. John Harris and the Sunken Land? Oh, I love, I love his It withholds stuff. every explanation it's, it's ever. wonderful. So it's in a way a sci-fi that withhold, or a horror story that withholds the horror or withholds mm. the sci-fi. Mm. Yeah, gorgeous. And that gives gives it that sort of an... A, it, I, give, I think, personally, I think that gives it a greater intensity. It's often. really astonishing. It, and his and his light trilogy, I think, is yeah. some of my favourite. Mm, the Nova Swing yeah. ones are my favourite yeah, sci-fi. Totally. Wonderful stuff yeah. yeah he's great can we talk so, about M. John Harrison for this entire thing yeah okay yeah. <laughs> Mike's no, lovely okay. his, his, his latest his yeah. latest his, his, his yeah. non-biography is one of the most astonishing books I've read for yeah, years so yeah okay yeah. moving on sorry yeah. <laughs> it's about it's about sort of withholding withhold, withholding the scientific explanation is actually in a way like uh, withholding the main characteristic that defines science fiction so it's really breaking with yeah. the form a little bit mm-hmm. but updating it in my view and making it uh, more intense so cool I love that about it as well. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So let's talk a little bit more about the 
the genre because that is obviously the the fascinating thing. So for you, it was a departure. For you, it was not. It was home. I I, was, I had always uh, written fiction uh, for me and my friends. Yeah. Uh, um, it's a hobby. It's a, I honestly can't stop. It, it would drive me insane if I stopped writing. And um, and so the, it wasn't a huge jump for me to go into genre and to mess around with genre and mix around stuff, you know. So it wasn't uh, it wasn't that difficult for me to do that. And also I had written collaboratively before. Yeah, I mean, one of the, one of the sort of, the, you know, the great things that we like to talk about quite a lot with this book is, is fan fiction, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't know any writers really... Maybe, like as you said, maybe not Salman Rushdie, but I mean, yeah, maybe not most, Salman Rushdie, but most, most writers, writers have got. I think Salman has a probably fan. he's got no. a, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but an like, AO3 you know, account. Yeah, most yeah. writers I know have written fan fiction. They've yeah, got like yeah. they've got it all out there on the internet under false names, and 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 you know some of the most extraordinary yeah. long form works uh, I've read in the last sort of you know twenty years have been have been have been internet fan fiction. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that whole ecosystem of like you know work that's free, that's there's no money involved, and yeah. It's very, very joyful. Yeah. But it's interesting and courageous, and that's a little bit what I was getting at earlier. It's um, courageous to some extent because, okay, we all, people might write fan fiction, mm. but they put it out under a pseudonym because there's clearly like a literary hierarchy in place. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but literary fiction is at the top of the hierarchy, seen to be as the, you know, the, the high cultural artifact is a novel. Yeah, a, fiction, a, a literary fiction mm. novel. Mm-hmm. Whereas then, um, you know, that, um, sci-fi genre fiction is accorded like a lesser value yeah. traditionally. And I like writers who disturb that hierarchy, who work sort of across this distinction. I think mm-hmm. it's politically important. But um, you, in your case, you obviously made a, a really... Did you you made a really clear decision to write now a sci-fi novel moving away from like the stuff you Well, I've, wrote I mean it's always previously. been part of me. I've sort of... always been I've always, you know, read sci-fi. I mean, I was the yeah. kid, you know, I used to read sort of you know terrible Arthur C. Clarke and Isaac Asimov and like amazing magazine when I was a kid you know so it's it's you know and I remember being obsessed with the short stories of J.G. Ballard when I was way too young to have been reading them there's one called The Voices of Time which is one of the most depressing short stories ever written and I still remember every every word you know it was traumatic for me as a child that one so I mean it's all there it's just I've never had a chance and it wasn't until I met Sin really and started talking with Sin that I managed to think well I could and I can said, I just do it. Do it. You're a writer. It. You can do it. Yeah. 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 There's no law. There is no law, but there is a certain uh, ex- there is an expectation that you confound. Yeah, it, I guess. yeah absolutely. Like, like, yeah. Like, um, but it is really funny because, like, you know, I used to work in the history of natural history, and I always laugh about this when this sort of sense of like the highbrow. Because I, I remember, you know, just there's some really interesting paper by John Mullen, academic is no longer with us, but and it was about the relative hierarchy of natural history pursuits. So right at the top is like you know birds. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then below that, apparently, are uh, dragonflies. Yeah, you know, so the bird people look down on the dragonfly people. Oh my god! Because they rightly so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then you know, you go down, you know, amphibians, you yeah. know, down there, and then like you get you get towards sort of you know botanists, and there's a lot of respect for botanists because plants are really hard. But that's a completely. Different. Then you go down, and then and then you get the moss people, and then right at the bottom are the liverworts. Uh, oh people. my god! So they're yeah. at the bottom of the social hierarchy yeah. of natural history, and I always just yeah. whenever I think of genre and fiction and how that works, it just makes me laugh. I always think of the liverworts people. Yeah, <laughs> no, so, exactly. You know, I'm going to be a liverworts. But person, yeah, you, cho- you chose to basically leave the birds and go liver. We did. We were it's all in there. Yeah. It's all the it's all it's the animals like, in here. Yeah, yeah. There's lots of literary <laughs> things in here, and there's lots of there's lots of extremely silly things as well, and lots of philosophy. I yeah. mean, it really is. 
yeah, I mean, we didn't plan it to be so, I don't know. We didn't, we, I mean, we, I don't know. What are it you saying? Just, <laughs> it just happened. It just happened. Yeah. We're really, yeah, it was a little bit like that. We, uh, we spent a lot of time being surprised that we we had gotten to where we were, and yeah. um, I think especially when we were presenting this to um, our agent as well, oh. that was that was terrifying. That was um, really funny though. Can it, I can I yes, you can, tell the yeah. story? So I was you know heart in mouth, you know my my literary agent, <laughs> the great Bill Clegg, <laughs> you know. Also, you know, Bill has a kind of you know quite a colourful past life, and I was you know stressed about. Rao as a character, you yeah. know, like, oh, mm-hmm. Bill, you know. Anyway, so <laughs> I tell him about this, and he's like, oh, that's good. Nice to, you know, nice to know you're keeping writing. That's good. <laughs> okay. you know? I'm like, no, I really am writing a novel with Sin. He's like, okay. And mm. then we sent him some pages, and he was like, oh, shit. I've got to take this seriously. So we had this, we had this meeting, and Sin yeah, was the first up. time. Yeah, it was the first time that They'd I... read about, like, a third of the book. Yeah, we had sent them, I think, uh, 25 chapters. Yes, yeah. yeah. So we were terrified. I was terrified. There was Bill in his New York office on Fifth <laughs> Avenue. And I'm like, oh, shit, 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 shit. I'm a nature writer. I'm a nature writer. <laughs> um, and we were like, okay, we had this discussion about it. And it all seemed fine. And then I'm like, like you know, I'm waiting for the, the thing to drop. Well, yeah, right? we didn't get any uh, criticism or notes or anger yeah. or anything. So, so we I'm actually like, asked for Bill, some. We were like, Bill, Simon, you have to get mad Do you mad have any substantive now? comments yeah. for us? And they were like... We think you should make Adam hotter and more dangerous. <laughs> and we were like, ah, okay. We can say that. <laughs> yeah. It was really great. That was a moment, I think, that, with the sort of joy of, 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 of having fun, I think, was, you know, if you, you know, if you have read it or you do read it, I really hope that the fun that we had comes across and is shared mm, by yeah. you as you read it because it was, yeah. It was, it was joyful. I've yeah. got to write another nature book, but I really want to write, write another one another of these. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We have threads we have to tie up, you know. Yeah. Yes, there are threads. What a, a literal sequel. In yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, amazing. Guys, I think um, you've waited long enough. Should I hand it over to the audience? Do you want to ask some questions yes, yourself? give us hell. Don't give yeah, us hell. difficult questions. Give me hell. Be yeah. Give <laughs> hell and hell. Hello. This, Hello. this is this I've got is a really this is question to start with. Um, if you were affected, both of you, yeah, by the virus or yeah. whatever it is, if you were affected by this thing, what what would be your object? What would be would the object create? we'd make? I know what I'd make, and I've, I still have it um, on my kitchen windowsill. Are two plastic dinosaur models in the Natural Naturalistry Museum. Um, when I was a kid, my parents would be arrested now. They used to go shopping in London on Saturdays, and they used to just drop me off at the museum, and I was, like, mm. tiny. And that's where I, I learned all my natural history. I used to wander around all the, the bird galleries and learn. Mm. And I, I remember once I complained to someone because the Latin name was wrong, and one of the... Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a nightmare child. It's incredibly in, in character. It's very in character. Yeah. Um, and he was just a security guy. He was like, oh. <laughs> um, so, basically, yeah, I, and, and I lived there. And, in fact, when the when the government made museums you know you have to pay a fee to get in I was absolutely furious I tried to slip in when I was in my 20s because I'm like no this is my house <laughs> I was really entitled so yeah I have these two plastic dinosaurs one is a, um, a triceratops and one is a t-rex and one of them's got a bit of a tail missing and um, and they just represent that whole that wandering in the halls of knowledge as a kid and I adore them sorry that was quite yeah. long-winded but yeah no that was yeah. So I don't know if anybody's seen the Brave Little Toaster. No. Um, 
I was obsessed with it. I, I really was. It was uh, it was a huge thing for me, mainly because there's this one track uh, called Worthless, and it it goes way too hard. It's <laughs> um, it's essentially about uh, cars that were once deeply loved, now being scrapped. Oh, my goodness. See, this is so yeah. in brand. Yeah, well, you did yours. All right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I suppose that was quite off brand as well. Yeah, yeah I'm going to shut up now. Um, so uh, I adored it. In L.A., uh, everybody had, like, the, the silver toasters that was in the movie. And so my dad, who is a, a hobbyist artist, he got some metal paint, and he stopped the VCR at this specific place, and uh, he painted the face of the Brave Little Toaster. On, on the toaster? On the toaster. Oh. So our toaster was the Brave Little Toaster. And when we moved, uh, we were moving to Ireland, so the toaster wouldn't work. So we had to leave oh, the toaster yeah. behind. So you can imagine uh, the trauma behind that. That's quite sad. It's fine. <laughs> It would be it would be the the toaster that my dad yeah. painted. Yeah. Oh my god! Why? Because the black plug didn't fit. In yeah, the, the plugs. Yeah. yeah. It's very terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Awful for a six-year-old. We're all in pieces. Is everybody yeah. okay? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That was such a great question. Yeah. Thank great you. Question. So you touched a little bit on Raoul's power and the scope of it. I actually just finished it this morning, and it was amazing. Uh, how did you make sure that the it's very real. It's very like it's huge his power, but also quite contained. Yeah. And I just thought how skillful that was, like handled and done well, especially with both of you writing it. Did you manage to just keep going back and be like, actually, this is too much. We need to bring it back to earth all the time. Thank you, um, Rao. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I've, I'm going to start just by saying, you know, of course, Rao could, you know, knowing the truth about the world, you know, he could have done really well in maths. <laughs> he could have done really well in pretty much any area, but um, he's hopeless uh, in many ways. And his whole thing is he wants to help people. And it ends up with him joining, you know, MI6, thinking he'd be really helpful and help people. And as usual, you know, when Rao wants to help people, it's always a complete disaster. But there's a lovely bit in the book, I think, where one of the other characters says, why did you run out of money? Why didn't you play poker? Like, what's wrong with you? And he just goes, "It, it wouldn't be fair. And she's like, I don't, I don't understand what you're talking about. But he's got, like, really strong moral sense, and I think he does feel that there are some ways in which he really shouldn't... Yeah. He shouldn't use that... That, um, that helped a lot. Yeah. I think that we also... Um, we talked to Dr. Christina McLeish yeah. about, like, a lot of the things that we were writing about. It was like, would this work? Mm. Um, would he know this? Uh, we think he would. What do you think? Yeah. And she would talk for hours about the reasons why he would know and things like that. But also... Uh, directly answering it yeah we did have to go back over something yeah we did we're like well, he would know when that. when he, he would know that. Uh, yeah. why he would would he say yes or maybe or because as i say indes- yeah. indeterminacy and, and vagueness are like yeah. you know, huge things to kind of it was one of the to. last things that we had to do yeah. actually was to make sure really that not only did he know everything as he needed to know but he would specifically need to ask the right questions to know yeah and how would you know how what you the angle, right questions are? How do you angle are? the right questions to interrogate reality? If you don't know something yeah, already. Mm-hmm. We just have to use language. It's really, it's really incoherent and yeah. incomplete in many ways. And also, he can't answer questions about God or yeah. gods, which is also really important in this book. So, um, or Adam. Adam. Or Adam, yeah. <gasps> <No>. <laughs> 
<laughs> so yeah, it was really fun. Hmm? Would you do a sequel? Yes. Yeah, we oh, would oh love to. Oh my god, to. we yeah. never, we never. I mean, of course we are. We have to. <laughs> Easy. I, 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 although I just, you know, these these boys won't leave us alone. These, yeah. these, you know, this we still we, we still do write. still write little yeah. bits and pieces. Like we're still writing a book um, because it's fun. We had a lot of fun writing yeah. it, so we still do. Yeah, that's going to be. I'm. Um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Looking at I mean, the publishers what we haven't really drawn out yet is the thing as well that it's obviously a gay love story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, I don't even see it because it's obviously so normal for in my in my particular uh, world. But it's something hugely unusual as well, I guess, that we're seeing um, a gay love story mm-hmm. in a yeah. sci-fi book because it's traditionally again it's such a straight. Well, actually, that was one genre. of the things that we we really cared about because yeah. in all the archetypal odd couples exactly. it's implied yeah and we're sick of that yeah, yeah we're just like no we're gonna go full balls to the walls yeah, yeah. yeah. We're get together yeah. damn it i've given it yeah. away but like anyway whatever <laughs> yeah. i'm a liability i tell you i really am um yeah but also i think it's really it's really important too you know that rao is an unbelievably fluid person in many ways you know mm-hmm. he's clearly non-binary he's clearly like you know what was the secret? I don't know what I am. I'm all if I don't really stop to think about it, you know. <laughs> um, he doesn't feel entirely Indian. He's not British. You know, he, he lives in this incredibly kind of complicated, and it makes him in feel flux. really sorry for yeah. himself. Mm. But that's a necessary kind of um, consequence of the whole, of, 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 of kind of the, the flip side of him knowing the truth about the world. And that was always going to be the case mm-hmm. in terms of his sort of fluidity. And Adam was always going to be this, you know, extremely sensitive person who ended up through you know, the kind of forces of his familial circumstances and society being a, a basically a really scary super soldier, yeah, which is yeah. not who he really you know, And really also, is. I think that we're sick of, like, as much as we talk about tropes and archetypes and everything else, we're sick of specifically gay archetypes. Mm-hmm. There's always these characters that look exactly the same, and it's not fair. So we didn't want that. Yeah. And uh, so in creating these real people, we... Uh, made a choice really early that this was going to be a queer story. Yeah, yeah, and it definitely is not. It's, it's even like a, a, a plot device in a way because the, one of them, at, to begin with, reads the other one as straight. Mm. So it's like a really class. It's actually crucial that it's a queer yeah. love yeah. story. This would never happen, you know. Yeah, in a yeah, yeah. exactly. So yeah, it's fundamentally like built into the entire. Yeah, book. and also it's yeah. really important to um, you know when we were writing this book, we really did call Adam and Rao the terrible men. Yeah. I mean, they are assholes. They, they are. They yeah. really are terrible. Terrible, <laughs> terrible. And it was important that, you know, because we have these things in media when people are gay in TV shows or, or like, what, movies like or cartoons. One, yeah, and everything one, else. Or, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're, they're always like, they either have to be redeemed or they have to be a good person. Or they die horribly. Or they die horribly or... Jeez, it's just so exhausting. Yeah. And like sometimes people are assholes. Yeah. It's okay. And they're just trying to find their way through life and do the right thing. And yeah. like, you know. So, yeah. so and also not for nothing, it's sci-fi. Sci-fi is queer. Yeah. yeah for it's like sure. horror. Yeah. And it always has been. Yeah, and sure. there's no reason to hide it. Yeah. So yeah. it's good to draw it out. Yeah, exactly. Really I'm still laughing about me writing horror. It's it good. So it's really fun. good horror. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. There's a bit in the book where someone gets attacked by a, by a Kermit. I was very proud of that bit. Yeah. <laughs> I hope they don't see. <laughs> Any more questions? We're, we're really enjoying this. so it, um, I have so many, um, but I'll pick one. 
So um, this is about the process because sadly I haven't finished reading the book. So I don't want to make any judgments on that. But um, about the writing process, when I first heard about you um, to have written a book together, um, one of the, my, my first thought was that's amazing because every time, um, you know, something like this, I've, I've never heard two people writing a book together. And the second thought was that's horrific. I would never be able to do that. <laughs> I... what. When I write, I am very personal about it. I'm very offended if anyone even takes a peek. The fights we have in our home is usually my partner trying to sneak a peek and me <laughs> oh, just yeah. threatening with divorce lawyers and yeah, everything. And rightly so. Yeah. Um, so I would just... <laughs> we had to get over that. It was yeah. hard. And that's my question. Yeah. How did you get over that? Because we it's fought. very personal yeah. and protective and yeah. someone coming. But then you mentioned that you got over that. And I was just wondering, what was the process of getting over that? I think actually the big, the big one that we had one real big one. We thought that we had, you know, ironed out all the creases. We thought that we were cool about it, and we had like even discussed it going in. It's like we have to deal with our egos going in. Let's be realistic about it. Let's try to set it aside and everything else. And we did discuss about how we feel when people do this. When editors go for any kind of work or readers or anything, we get very protective and and weird about it. And we did talk about that. And it was fine. We had hurt feelings a little bit here and there, but... I think knowing the other person is kind of going to look after your hurt feelings. Yeah, exactly. Like, because, because we, we talked both, that yeah, through. Yeah, we, we would talk about it. We, it were very, we were very... I mean, it would happen maybe a day after the hurt feelings, so we would stew in it for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> it's very important to feel that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, you know, a day or two afterwards, we were like, listen, I've thought about it. This is the reason why I'm upset. And the reason why I'm upset, and it's not because you have ideas or critiques or anything else. It's because these are my words. It's really hard. We're taught constantly that writing is solitary. Yeah, the 19th century genius model, right? Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a solitary mm. consciousness. Yeah. In a garret with a, car- with a mm-hmm. candle. Sure. And then you sit in a bathtub with cognac and you cry. But it doesn't have to be like that. Yeah. Because... Being able to yell about something that you've done, that the other person is the only person that can understand why you're yelling about yeah. it. That's really, really good and really cathartic. And so we leaned into that. Kind we of did. Thing. We, we were leaning hard into the vulnerability. And, um, and being honest and about being honest, why yeah. we were hurt. Ow. Yeah. You that sucked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But... Um, you know, eventually, I think particularly the way we edited, you know, going over and mm. over and over, eventually all of those little hurt feelings sort of really kind of, it was a bit like sanding down a piece of wood. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the end, I think the book started, there was a moment, and I always feel this with, with, you know, before with my other books, that there's always a moment where the book stops being a production of humans at all. It becomes a, a creature of its own. Yeah. And that's always a lovely moment. And that happens sort of later on in mm. the process. And once that happens, it's, it was easier for me because you feel that you're kind of, yeah. it's like you're feeding a horse or you're kind of making it go somewhere rather than you're kind of building something yeah. from your it's, horse. It, it is difficult when you're, when, especially when you're in the middle of writing something, you're trying to get parts of yourself out onto a page. Yeah. Nothing else does that. I mean, we talk about, like, I, I play music, I write music, and, and it's similar. But with, with fiction especially, and I think that it gets looked down on because of genre or whatever else. You, you, but what you're creating is something completely new from you. And that's vulnerable as hell. Yeah. Doing it is scary, let alone someone looking at it. 
And so, yeah, you end up in a very protective, very defensive place. But at the same time, like, actually the two of us having written this book makes pretty much everything else about the book easier. Yeah. Like, doing this is a joy. Mm. I mean, yeah. you know. Yeah, it's more fun. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and if there are any sort of, like, you know, snipe, snipey sort of things anyone says, you know, I just go to sin, and sin's like, don't be an idiot, you know, it's good reads. So yeah. <laughs> I'm still Let laughing. There was a, I was telling, telling uh, earlier, there was uh, one of the Goodreads reviews. Uh, this person was so outraged by this book. Hated it so much that they wrote a review about this lot. Yeah. And they, they said it was disgusting. And they wrote down all the swear. They said it was like they was full of disgusting words. And then they wrote down all the swear words. They tallied them up. And they tallied how many times each of them appeared yeah, in the book. Commitment. So yeah. I, there's a lot of really precise yeah. reading there. I'm going to read yeah. I mean, we don't know how many cuss no. words are in it. They do. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we've been really enjoying people finding this book and, and yeah. And, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and having joy with it. So yeah. we really hope that you guys have fun with it too. Yeah? They will. They will. <laughs> Anyone else? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had a question that, that sort of links onto that, which is that um, when you're reading so-called literary fiction, you can really often tell, or at least I find you can tell, when the non-fiction has bled in. So when this is just like cut and paste from the person's life. Mm. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think I'm not. Um, and I was, just, <laughs> I was just wondering, was this pure craft? Or were there things, bits of your emotional history baggage that you threw in and worked with as well? Or was it just the pure joy of creation? I mean, inevitably, there's going to be bits, right? Yeah. Can you I talk mean, about that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a promiscuous, drug-taking layabout. That was um, not a layabout. No, disaster. Yeah. I was a drug-taking disaster at college, but that was a long time ago. Um, but I'm, I'm certainly much more like, like, like Rao in terms of my general kind of chaos. And sin is very ordered and together. Um, so <laughs> there was a sense in which the characters were a little bit easier to kind of map onto. But in terms of like, you know, it was very easy for me in the sense of like, you know, I, I, I gave Rao a Oxbridge education. You know, I, I did Oxbridge. I don't think there's anything in the book that maps directly because so much of it was drawn with love from other works. Like, it's a work of intertextuality in, 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 in that sense. So, you know, I, in the sense that, you know, it was kind of nostalgia for kind of Bond movies and nostalgia for kind of various fictive kind of things of my childhood came into the book. But that it's, it's a kind of, it wasn't my life, it was just nostalgia in my life mm. that, 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 that really populated the pages. Um, but having said that, I really enjoy the info dumps in genre fiction. So one of my favorite things that I didn't, we didn't do in this book was what I call the... the the Frederick Forsyth info dumps, right? So, like, I remember, you know, you read The Dogs of War and, you know, one of the characters is, like, suddenly in the, in the dodgy diamond trade and then you have three pages of explaining <laughs> what diamonds are and where they come from and how they mine. Yeah. And I love that. Mm-hmm. And, and part of me is thinking, <laughs> I really wish we could have put some of that in there. Um, but anyway, that's my, that's my answer. For- well, I think that uh, no matter what the book is, the writer is going to put themselves into it. Yeah. It's unavoidable you're like I said you're putting yourself onto the page um I don't think that uh there's a lot of uh me in Adam but that being said I am pretty straight talking uh a little bit stoic uh pretty American I didn't grow up in uh Las Vegas uh I'm good at cards um I'm okay 
at uh, lying, I guess. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. The, uh, putting yourself into the things, I, I always felt like, specifically speaking about uh, the loss and trauma that we put into the book, mm-hmm. none of this maps directly onto no. our lives. But we wanted it to feel like it was real loss, real trauma, real dark times that people felt. And I think that because we're able to have those moments in our lives and we have people in our lives that have told us those stories and everything like that, it's it's about gathering the feeling mm. and then creating a place and a person and a scenario that creates the exact same feeling that we have. Mm-hmm. So maybe not the characters maybe not the scenarios are mapped but the feelings the feelings are, yeah. are exactly yeah. mapped and that's yeah. what we created in in the characters and in their backstories i think and um, thank you and um, i'm sorry i haven't read the book so this might be a bit of a ridiculous like, question yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> i'm in trouble <laughs> oh no <laughs> i've confessed i don't know why i feel like i've been found out but um you started the talk uh by mentioning how there's this feeling of hopelessness about the future and maybe we're kind of like ill-equipped to think about the future. And I just wondered whether the process of writing the book made you feel any better equipped or you think that reading the book might help people to think about the future in a different way. That's a good question. You're looking at me, Sid. I am. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, a couple of things. Uh, one is that we really felt that writing the book was kind of subversive act, really. Yeah. Um, in, in, in many different ways. Um, it wasn't what I was supposed to be writing. <laughs> it's one way. Um, the queerness of it is subversive. The, the, the kind of attack on a particular strand of late capitalism is subversive. So we felt that we were kind of doing a bit there to kind of break mm-hmm. some, some sort of, some of the narratives. Um, but in terms of like, a believable possible future it's a love story right so my take on this is that um you know it had to be a love story because if everything is pointing to the fact that there's no kind of future and no progressive future and no movement forward to a livable future everything always looks backward to a past you know that the only thing really apart from collective action which isn't in this book um <laughs> that can break that is love right it's 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 in the moment it's it's timeless it presupposes some form of imagined future yeah. and it's generative and it's it's full of hope right so you know i think in the in a small way this book um presents this notion of a requirement for hope in the future even if it doesn't pre- politically present it in politically it's quite depressing in many ways it doesn't in a lot of ways in, you know yeah. it doesn't actually fix anything at the end of the book it just it just you know some people are happy or as happy as they can be considering but yeah so i mean it, it does sound quite like you know this is 1967 and i'm straight out of Fulton Street. But yeah, love is the answer in this one. <laughs> but it's hard. It's hard yeah. trying to keep hopeful, right? I mean, you know, and I think Rebecca Solnit and many other commentators have written a lot about this. You know, we need to work really hard to open up a space for uncertainty about the future. And and then, you know, working for that uncertainty about the future takes effort. It takes a lot of effort and emotional work yeah. to do that. What Helen said. Yeah. <laughs> so really hot and sweaty. Yeah. <laughs> Not because it was a stressful question, honestly. I'm just really hot. <laughs> thank you for it. Yeah, shall we thank? Uh, one more? Have one you got more? one more? Tiny one. Time, okay. Shall we? Tiny one. It's okay. Tiny, tiny one. one. <laughs> tiny what if we have a really long answer? Oh, no. <laughs> um, well, I was just thinking that 
uh, when I write, I realize I'm really porous and that if a friend sends me a piece, I want to write just like them the next day. And I was wondering if you guys have a sense of how you've changed or shaped one another's writing differently. Ooh. Mm. Oh, yeah. I could, maybe it's going to be really hard for me to write nature writing now. <laughs> well, don't. That's not the question. <laughs> um, yeah, we did get kind of one mindy, didn't we, towards the end when it comes yeah, to Yeah, I think so. Um, we, uh, we have a joint voice, I think, is really what it comes down to. We always laugh about the fact that we can't tell now. Yeah. Um, and uh, we said this. It really, truly, we, we have this single voice in the book that we hope uh, is, you know, cohesive. Oh, it because, is, because yeah. whenever there's a funny line, I'm always like, that was yours. No, that's yours. Yeah, right? Yeah. Happy fight. But I think when we were starting to write... There's always going to be patterns that you have. I mean, you have it when you're talking. You have different patterns. Mm -hmm. You have different patterns of thinking. And so uh, we knew that we had to either adopt some things. And like you said, like if I read something that my friend writes, I want to write like that. Mm -hmm. But we did that consciously. It was like, oh, I like that. That's yeah, a, that's really a good thing to do with that yeah. prose we want to do that yeah, yeah usually when I'm writing I can't read anything else mm -hmm. like you know and one of the things that Ages for Hawk was really fun because I, I I tried not to read anything mm. and I ended up listening to Radio Shakespeare and reading Agatha Christie and now I read Ages for Hawk and I'm like oh look it's full of those things it's got the Agatha Christie drive and it's got all the Shakespearean language but with with Prophet it was phenomenal because I was just listening really hard to the cadences and kind of the ways that Sin's mind was moving mm -hmm. and Sin was listening just as exactly, hard to mine yeah. So we really did kind of create this kind of shared consciousness of what yeah, and we, and we yeah. learned a lot of stuff I think from each other as well because um, I, I I get stuck in characters and I don't really want to come out of them I I just want to keep there and what they're thinking and what they're feeling and and uh, that tends to stagnate after a while and uh, and Helen would create you know not just plot but like vistas of uh atmospheres and things like that and i can't do that i couldn't do that by the end of this yeah book, we did we did really learn from each other yeah we yeah. went back and forth and uh and that's really what we say that we don't know the difference it's because we learned these different ways of writing yeah. while we were writing yeah so it's like a, we, did, we did we did we did a sort of like you know bootstraps masterclass for each other in how to write <laughs> a completely unhinged novel Mm. Mm. It's pretty hinged. It's pretty hinged. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a really good question. Thank you. No. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you, everyone. So, thanks for the questions. Thanks for to the two of you. And I think you guys can now um, purchase the novel if you haven't done so, and you can get it signed right. live yep. by the two authors. <laughs> and um, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening. To find out more about London Review Bookshop events, visit londonreviewbookshop.co.uk forward slash events.